Scott McFarland is a congressional correspondent for CBS News. You see him all over national TV. Uh, he reports on a lot of different things, uh, broadcast platform, everything that you can see, uh, you're going to find Scott on. I follow him on, I suppose I'm supposed to say X because he brings me a lot of news there on Twitter. But uh, there's a story out there uh, about the man that was the the – the cinch witness. He was the informant. He was the one that was talking to Republicans about Hunter Biden and news came out uh, about that individual. And I asked Scott to come on again today and he was nice enough to do it. Scott, good to have you on News and Views. Hey, good morning. The the big witness that the congressional committee talked about, that was their ace in a hole as they went after the Bidens. Talk to me about what the news happened here. So his name is Alexander Smirnoff. The House Republicans didn't use his name, but they alluded to what Smirnoff gave the feds many, many times in launching this impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Alexander Smirnoff told the feds, according to charging documents in his case, that there was a link between the president, his son Hunter Biden, and this Ukrainian energy company Burisma that, according to Smirnoff, amounted to bribery of prosecutors who were um, overseeing Alexander Smirnov, who was an FBI informant, a federal informant, have charged him with making false statements and filing fictitious records. They are alleging that he fabricated his stories about Hunter Biden and President Biden, which really does defang, if not kneecap, this congressional impeachment inquiry, since so much of it was justified because of what Smirnov said. But there's a twist. And last night, it happened in court as the prosecution tried to hold Smirnov in jail until his trial in this false statements case, they alleged in their arguments that Smirnov claims to have had contact with Russian foreign agents, and it was Russian intelligence fabricating stories about Hunter Biden. So here we are, another election in which there's alleged Russian interference. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there that uh, have been using this as a tool for election. We have a congressman serving now in Kelly Armstrong who was putting out there on social media how they needed to be more aggressive in regards to their investigation of the Bidens. I think that that message went out prior to this information going out. And uh, I'm not sure that the congressman would have put that out having known this. And so I guess my my question of you being up on Capitol Hill is, do you see these individuals who have used this for political purposes putting it in reverse at all? No, they're going to keep going. And we know that because it's happening today. Good question, but the answer is no. Today, the House Oversight Committee has a closed-door interview with James Biden, the president's brother. Then a week from today, They still have their closed-door deposition. They negotiated with Hunter Biden. What the Republicans on the House Oversight Committee are arguing is that their whole inquiry is not singularly based on this FBI information given by Alexander Smirnoff, that there's more to it, and they're going to keep pursuing the more. But there's a reality that may be um, hard to avoid. This really does discredit a lot of what's been said about Hunter Biden. And it may discredit it so much that it's difficult, if not untenable, for House Republicans to try to bring an impeachment to a vote against President Biden based on the fact that the margins are narrow, there's very little room for error, and now they have this big thing weighing them down on their shoulder. Scott, it appears from a distance that often the Republican conference, I still use words like caucus, 
uh, is ruled by those people on the far right, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the the Boberts of the world. And so there's a fear that as narrow of a majority as they have, that if they don't keep uh, the gates of the world happy, that they're they're not yep. going to have anything at all. Does this take away some of that power that that far right has, where where now the people that actually want to or could govern from the GOP can say, look, you know, it's over. It's done. Knock it off. A little bit. It's a really interesting question because there's actually a more complex answer than you'd think. Um, with only three votes to spare in this incredibly narrow House Republican majority, any faction of the House Republican conference has outsized power and can control things. Any breakaway group, no matter who they are, or what their political persuasion, can stop things. So it's not just that members of the Freedom Caucus or the more outlandish of the members like Marjorie Taylor Greene can stop things in their tracks or instill their will. Really, any group of Republicans can. And we saw that earlier this winter when this group of quite moderate New York City area Republicans halted operations here in the U.S. House because they wanted to exact some leverage and get a tax policy on the floor that may benefit folks who live in New York or here near D.C. And so as soon as any group of Republicans uses the leverage and the veto power they have, others are going to do the same. And that's why we have such pernicious issues here where we can't keep the government funded, can't get Ukraine aid approved, and can't get anything passed on the floor because everybody is exercising their veto power in this narrow majority. That's something that did not happen under Nancy Pelosi, nor did it happen under previous Republican speakers, but it's happening now. That's a long answer to your question, but you're kind of right, because the more Speaker Mike Johnson throws bones to the Freedom Caucus members, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, on things like impeachment inquiries, the more he's able to survive, the longer he's able to survive when he does what he's likely to do next week, which is cut a deal with Democrats to keep the government open and continue spending at the levels preferred by Democrats. Do, do people on the Hill consider Johnson a member of the Freedom Caucus? Uh, he certainly was, and he certainly was among the most conservative members of an you know, increasingly conservative conference. But now he's leadership. You know, you know what it's like. Mm -hmm. You go to a job and suddenly one of your colleagues is management. Hey, your buddy's management now. He ain't a colleague anymore. Kind of like that. I mean, he's the speaker now, and he's in charge, which means he has to do things that maybe his teammates don't so much like. Yeah, the difference is they don't fear him, and that's what you just told me a second or two ago. One of two things happened here. Scott McFarland is our guest. He's a correspondent for CBS News, a congressional correspondent. One of two things happened. The committee overseeing this investigation into the Bidens did know about this individual having connections uh, to Russia uh, and and they look incredibly foolish or they didn't know and should be incredibly ticked off. Uh, which one oh, of those two he, things do you think it is? Well, neither of those are acceptable uh, options for the Republicans. So they found a third way. They found a third option. In a statement overnight, they criticized the FBI for not <laughs> better policing this informant or not better informing folks about the veracity of this informant. They're kind of this is a this is a, a House Republican conference that has consistently, often to their political benefit, called the Department of Justice a weaponized arm of the Biden administration that is targeting Republicans or targeting conservatives. So this is in line with their previous criticisms. They say the DOJ fell down on the job. Not that they were, you know, subscribing to a fabricator's story. What wasn't 
the prosecutor, wasn't one of the individuals that brought this forward actually a Trump appointee? The special counsel who is prosecuting Hunter Biden is a U.S. attorney who was appointed by Donald Trump. He was the U.S. attorney for Delaware, which obviously would give him you know, pretty relevant jurisdiction over the Bidens, who are from Delaware. Now he was made a special counsel, which gives him more autonomy, more ability to uh, more independence. What's more, he's now able to do more things with his investigation, like submit a final report publicly about what he found or didn't find, kind of like the previous special counsel, Robert Hur just did to President Biden. Um, so he's a Trump appointee. And that's been relevant because at first, Republicans thought he was going too easy on Hunter Biden. And Democrats responded, well, hey, he's a Trump U.S. attorney. Blame Trump. Now that he's going rather aggressively at Hunter Biden, you know, <laughs> Democrats are calling him a Trump sycophant. He's, having, he's getting it both ways. But in this case, he's prosecuting an informant from the FBI on something that is not really relevant to Hunter Biden's tax. It's about lying to the FBI about President Biden. And boy, is this resonating here in Washington today. This is the story that's kind of consumed us here. Is there, last one, Scott, I know you got to get going, but is is there an acknowledgement from the Republican caucus that Smirnoff was, in fact, their star witness? There's an acknowledgement that they were leaning on him. It's hard to not acknowledge that. They said it on camera repeatedly. That this, this, this FBI informant is credible. He's to believe, and he's a reason why we need to keep pursuing this. They really can't walk that back, but they are continuing forward. And I think it's noteworthy that they're not going to be dissuaded by this. It still serves a goal. Just talking about impeachment inquiries, even if they don't impeach, waters down the word impeachment, which is important for Republicans in 2024 because, oh, by the way, they're about to nominate a twice impeached former president. And I'm sorry we're out of time because. I was hoping we'd have 30 seconds to talk Summit League basketball because <laughs> nobody here in Washington cares about it. But you do. Can, and the Fighting Hawks are the only team that seems legitimately a powerhouse to win a game in the NCAA tournament coming out of that. And I went to the University of North Dakota. That's home for my family. My daughter's graduated from there. And I'll tell you what, the Hawks turned her around this year. So watch them. Well, it's going to be fun the rest of the year. Just know that I'm watching too. And when they win the conference tournament, in a couple weeks, you call me back. We'll talk about it. All right. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it, man.